0: need my racket podcast brought to you by in her name foundation. I am Cindy Swain, your host, and this is episode number 7. Do bullies really win? At the end of every senior year in high school come award ceremonies. Sports awards, academic awards, leadership awards, and a time where seniors are honored for their accomplishments. My senior year in high school, 1980 to be exact, I sat through one such sports awards banquet where athletes were recognized for each season's accomplishments with varsity letters, all-conference awards, regional awards, and state honors. The dinner I sat through, nauseating. The awards, gut-wrenching as I watched one of my classmates who had bullied me all four years of high school be awarded the Most Outstanding Female Athlete. That award was supposed to be based on sports accomplishments, leadership, and sportsmanship. Well, let me share with you a list of some of her high school accomplishments. She spread false and hurtful rumors about my personal life. She complained to teachers and coaches that I always got special treatment. She organized some of my basketball teammates to beat me up in the shower after an away game that we lost because some of the starters were benched for not hustling, except me. She convinced my tennis teammates to not support me during the regional championship my senior year by having them sit it out in the van instead of cheering me on courtside. And when I split sets and ran out of water, they ignored me. That following week, right after the regional championship tournament, she had her parents lobby the high school athletic director and wanted me kicked off the tennis team for poor sportsmanship prior to the state championship tournament. She spread absolutely made-up falsehoods about how she had several Division I tennis scholarship offers but turned them all down to go to a local college. Basically, she did everything to make my life miserable everything she could do to possibly derail any chance at me winning that Most Outstanding Athlete Award our senior year. Well, here's a list of some of what I accomplished in high school. I graduated the top 10% of my class, was a national honor student. I was awarded the High School Pace Setter Award three years in a row, sophomore, junior, and senior, voted on by faculty based on academic achievement, citizenship, and leadership. I was a member of the marching band Drumline. I was a four-year starter and varsity letter winner in basketball, received all area and all state honors. I was a four-year letter winner in tennis, the first ever girls tennis player from Hayes High School to win a state singles Championship. I was the first ever girls tennis player from Hayes High School to win or earn a Division One scholarship for tennis. My bully did none of that. The only thing I wanted to do after she won that award that night, something she and her parents had campaigned for all four years of high school, was leave, head down, Silent, showing no emotion, but on the inside, completely dejected and humiliated. I was told to stay silent. Act like it didn't bother me and I'd be stronger for it. I was told not to use my voice. It was a gut punch that night. Somehow I thought it was something I did or something I didn't do just as most teenagers do when they are bullied. They don't speak up and feel it's their own fault. Now as an adult, I know it to be much different, and I am speaking up, using my voice through this podcast, Do I Need My Racket?, and through In Her Name Foundation. Now as an adult, if there is anything that I can do that will help kids stand up to bullies, teach them to use their voices, become more confident, learn life skills, improve self-esteem, and improve mental outlook, I will do just that. So this podcast, do bullies really win? Highlights competitive cheerleading, a sport that does not get enough recognition, a sport that does get bullied, mocked, teased, and not taken seriously. I interviewed Kim Lindberg, the Lansing Catholic High School competitive cheer coach, and we talk about how she teaches her athletes to stand up for each other, trust each other, use their voices, and yes, to push back on bullies. Have a listen. on my podcast my guest is Kim Lindberg welcome Kim hi how are you I'm good happy to have you here with me today so the sport we're gonna be talking about is competitive cheerleading and people don't talk about it enough and that's why we're talking about it today because it is a fascinating sport so let's start out Kim Um, how did you
1: get into competitive cheer yourself Well, I went to Eaton Rapids High School, and I graduated in the class of 1994, and that year, the cheer team went to state finals, and we took third place. First, second, and third place were all within one point of one another, and so we knew we had the talent. We were all Mm -hmm. right there, and it was a very good experience. The competitive, um, we competed against many good, tough teams, Mm -hmm. and to make it as far as we did was pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. And you, did, were you in competitive cheer all four years of high school? I was. Um, I actually started cheerleading when I was in, oh, goodness, fifth, sixth grade. And uh, just went to Eaton Rapids for high
0: school. So Eaton so. Rapids High School is south of Lansing, Michigan. Correct. About 20 miles. Correct. So then, you know, you, you felt like you wanted to do more with competitive cheer after high school. And you ended up doing some coaching. What
1: inspired you to do that? It actually happened in high school. Okay. Okay, so um, every year we go to summer camp, and we go to Champion Cheerleading Summer Camp, and Mm -hmm. they have a, or at the time had a tradition um, where the staff members would watch all the teams and all the cheerleaders at the camp, Mm -hmm. and those with the best attitude and highest skill um, were, names were put in a hat, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and at the end of the camp, um, those girls were nominated as camp champ OK, so I was absolutely floored, but I was nominated Camp Champ. Oh, and okay. I, I loved that. What we got to do, all those who were nominated um, were pulled together for a team and we wore the champion staff, but not staff, you know, Camp Champ logo okay. shirts and taught at a clinic. Uh-huh. Um, local, you know, area teams, different cheers and things mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. representing um, champion cheerleading company. And that was pretty pivotal for me. hmm. Also, um, my coach, to build her program, you know, you start low and you go slow. So we had a youth program at Eaton Rapids, and she was looking for one of the high school girls to take the middle school girls to a competition. Oh, So my friend Kara and I signed up, and I coached the middle school team at Eaton Rapids and took them to competition um, in my off-season.
0: And and what year in
1: high school were you? I was a senior. A senior. Yep, and that's where the coaching... um, really took off for me in my heart I knew I would want to do it someday
0: yeah was there one particular thing that you
1: that you remember that that inspired you to keep going oh gosh you know I just love working with kids yeah my my favorite thing and to this day my favorite thing is teaching them how to do the skill of cheer and then watching their faces when they realize they've done something that they couldn't do before Mm -hmm. that is so thrilling for me it fills my cup yeah it is fun it is fun I love coaching too yeah
0: Okay, Kim. So after high school, then were what were you doing with
1: Competitive Cheer? So after high school, um, my coach uh, started to contemplate retirement mm-hmm. and um, put some feelers out into the community for someone to help coach and learn the ropes. And so I jumped in at that, and I got to coach alongside my high school coach, who was phenomenal. Um, so was she kind of a mentor for you then? Yes, absolutely. She was she was a very strong coach. She had a history of, um, winning teams before Mm -hmm. she came to Eaton Rapids as well. So, um, coaching alongside her, I learned very, very much. Yeah. Um, and then when I took over, um, it was from 1996 and I stopped coaching in 2000 and that would be because my baby boy was nine months old. Yeah. You started
0: to be a mom and and had tugged in different directions. That's right. So then, You started to uh, get back into coaching recently,
1: um, four years ago? Yes. Four years ago, um, my daughter, Miranda, was on the cheer team at Lansing Catholic. Um, The coaches uh, were traveling quite a distance to Mm -hmm. coach and couldn't do it any longer. And Mm -hmm. I could not watch that program fall to the ground, Mm -hmm. knowing how much my daughter loved it. Mm -hmm. And we shared that love for this sport. So I thought, oh, dear. (laughs) Someone's going to have to take over. Yeah, someone's got to take over. And it might as well be me because I know it. And I can help these girls. It's just going to be a challenge coaching my own daughter. And the funny thing is, my high school coach coached her own daughter, too. (laughs) So I am now seeing it through a new set of lenses. I bet you are. I bet you are. So you know, if you
0: could pick one thing that you pulled from... Being a coach or a player at that time, that really, you really felt your calling to coach and what you love about competitive cheer. What would that be?
1: Oh, I have to. I just, I really have to stick with helping a girl to gain some skills that she's never had before. The faces they make and the the words that they say. Oh my gosh, coach, I did it! I did it! Did you see that? I just did it! Yeah, that. I love helping people realize that they can do things that maybe they don't think they can. Exactly. And you see that confidence grow
0: on the spot. I was not that familiar with competitive cheer until about three years ago, I was asked to call a meet. And I sat and watched in awe of those young girls. The heart, the confidence, the amount of communication, the trust in each other the bravery and courage to be the lifts and the tosses. I was just absolutely blown away with how they literally have to depend on each other to complete the routine. There's not one person on that mat that does not participate in what is going on. Um, It it is really, it was quite an experience of sportsmanship and how, it's the epitome of what you would want your son or daughter to get from playing a sport is, is that you have to do this together. You can't do it
1: alone. I would agree uh, completely. You have to have everyone on the mat in synchrony. They need to all look the same. They need to perform every motion, every jump, everything the same. And that's how you're graded, so to speak. It's how you're scored. Mm -hmm. When it comes to stunting, you have to trust the people underneath you throwing you up in the air. And as a base, you have to trust that the flyer is going to do their job and not come crashing down on you. So just a minute there. So explain a
0: couple of terms just so people know what we're talking about. So the base is? The base is the two people, often two people, that lift the flyer up in the air. And the flyer is the one that's on the top. Correct. Which would scare the death out of me to be on the top. I would just be (laughs) mortified. So they're, I mean, those kids, they're brave. And then
1: the stunting means? And then there's a back spot as well. The back spot is what they call touch, watch, and away. They have to be touching the flyer and watching, but yet be somewhat away from the stunt. So they so have a person four. behind them just for safety. Yes, so there's total of four for a stunt group. There are certain stunts you can do with less, but, you know. Most, I, to do it right, you have to have four. Yeah, or to do complex things, let's say it that way. Okay. And, you know, when you ask these kids, okay, I want you to be the flyer, what do they say to you? I ask them, how do you feel about being a flyer? Mm-hmm. And I've had some say, Nope, mm, no, nope, nope. No, that's not for me. <laughs> then I've had others that are like, okay, game on. Sure, I'll give it a try.
0: Yeah. yeah. You know? And I bet once they complete that stunt, the bass and the flyer, they probably just look at each other in awe. Like, oh my gosh, we did that. Yeah. Because those things they do, that is not easy. It's not. It takes repetition and repetition and repetition and precision and practice over and over and over
1: to get to, to, to where it's exact. Exactly. And that's, they're scored on that. Um, it, it's more than just doing the stunt. They have to make it look effortless. Mm-hmm. That's how they're scored. Mm-hmm. And you start off with a perfect score. Every little... A perfect score is a 10. Correct. Like they, most things are scored out of a 0 to 10. Mm-hmm. So any little bobble... Any little balance checks where the flyer kind of does a little bobble where you can tell she's checking you know, her balance. Yeah. Kind of yeah. get her balance. Any bases moving their feet and not being solidly planted to the mat. Mm-hmm. Um, any stunt that goes off center. Like all these things start getting little ding, ding, ding. And, and, and when all they get a little up. check mark like that, how much of a point? Is it a tenth of a point? So it depends on what it is, but you'll have like 0.2 for like if the flyer isn't flexing her or, or pointing her toes toe. yeah like you know th- that mm-hmm. kind of stuff mm-hmm. yeah so it does add up it absolutely adds up do you ever
0: notice where it's like one kid kind of bobbles and then it's like dominoes where they're like oh my gosh or do they just pick up and carry on or both
1: i've seen that happen before but what i train them for mm-hmm. is how do you recover mm-hmm. if this happens out on the mat how are you going to recover from it? Because oh, you cannot such, keep on like. That's such an excellent lesson right? to learn. Oh my gosh. Don't just quit. Yep. You can do this. Absolutely. You fake it till you make it. Yeah. If you are unsure because you had something bad happen, you slap on that facial expression of, I am confident this is mm-hmm. fine and I'm going to get through the rest of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, I am so impressed with these kids. And I remember last year, the last meet that I called um, for competitive cheer. I, again, was impressed with how hard those kids work, how they performed on the mat, but most impressed with what happened after all the competition was over. And I know you remember this because we talked about it earlier. Can't remember, there were three or four teams there. Every single kid from every team created a big circle around the mat all mixed together They weren't necessarily in schools or teams They were kind of all mixed together and they played the equivalent of duck duck goose when you run around a circle tap someone on the head and they chase you around but their version was You point to someone they come out in the, in the circle. They do a trick everybody cheers them on and that person runs around and points this went on For about 15 minutes while the judges were tabulating final scores to determine
1: who won the meet. Yes, that's little Sally Walker. Little Sally Walker walking down the street. She didn't know what to do, so she stopped in front of me. She said, go, go, do your thing, do your thing, switch. Then the two cheerleaders switch. Go, go, do your thing, do your thing, switch. And it's either a dance move yeah. or a gymnastics move or just something fun and silly. It's a time to decompress after Yeah, Very and they stressful. were having
0: so much fun yes. doing
1: it. And the thing that was so
0: impressive... Every single kid from every team when they were all doing it together and cheering equally.
1: Yes. And our cheer for charity supports the Capital Area Down Syndrome Association. And we even had um, some kids with Down Syndrome join in with us. You did. Yeah. Yes. Yes. They
0: welcomed them in the circle. And I—that that is like what you would want the most from your child in a sport would be able to just not be about themselves. 100%. But be about the team. And what I can learn about myself and take forward in life. Yeah, because it's so much more than just about you. Oh, it is. It is. In you know, and I've watched you coach those kids, and I've watched those kids. I mean, it's a testament to your coaching for them to, to do that. I it, thank you. I think I sent you an email. <laughs> yeah, you was did. So impressed with that last year. Yeah, um, it was
1: touching. I was oh, wow, thank you. It makes you feel like you're doing the right thing Oh you and certainly to certainly pursuing. Are.
0: You certainly are, because you, you were assistant coach for one year, Correct. and you've been varsity coach now at Lansing Catholic High School, Lansing Mission Good for three. Correct. And it wasn't necessarily easy when you started. You really lost a lot of kids. You only had four. Oh, and
1: my you, that's goodness. That's the minimum amount that you need to even <sighs> have a team put together. Is that right? Yeah, so the year I assisted, there were 10. The next year I took over, they dropped down to eight and um from there we actually had a couple of girls that had to quit or withdraw or whatever word you want to use um from cheer because we were in the time of covid Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. now we are facing challenges like some kids just are not online learners right and some kids got covid in their families and their family members were high risk um you know they had comorbidities that put them at high risk, and so sure. it was very scary time. And so we lost a couple, and um, actually more than a couple. It ended up being um, going down to a team of four. Mm-hmm. Now from ten to four. Ten, yeah, so. yeah, in the space of a couple of years, yeah. So four is the very minimum that you can have and mm-hmm. take them at and be allowed to compete. Mm-hmm. You cannot compete with any less. So here we are in COVID with the minimum amount of people and it's in the middle of a pandemic my girls cannot get sick or we're done for right and you know how did you coach competitive cheer online
0: that was really difficult <laughs> um i mean yeah i it just uh, you were telling me about it and i'm just amazed because
1: how did you do that? Zoom. <laughs> we zoomed all the time, and there. I have to tell you, this might um, take us off into a slightly different direction, but there was so much going on for me personally at that yes, time. Yes, there was. I had to pass the baton to my assistant coach, Olivia Saint Germain, mm-hmm. and Olivia had to be the one to enforce the Google, or not Google the uh, Zoom meet times, mm-hmm. and um, they had. Uh, videos that they would have to submit to us mm-hmm. that of them practicing the round that we had created mm-hmm. but they'd have to practice it individually thank goodness for smartphones yep and every they had if they practiced it they had to perform every skill in the round so that they didn't lose their physicality mm-hmm. um, and that also drilled the cheer into their heads and so when we finally got to resume again we wouldn't be in this horrible position right and during
0: that time, both your parents got really sick. Oh, my goodness. And that's the reason why you had to step away
1: as coach, because you had to take care of them. Yes. My um, 2020 was, I know it's awful for a lot of people, mm-hmm. but it felt so very awful for me. There are three things that mm-hmm. compiled to make it so. One, I'm a nurse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am a neurotrauma step-down nurse. But at the time, my unit was A COVID unit. So all I did was have to take care care of COVID people. And it was very scary. No patient will uh, circle the drain faster than a COVID patient. So, you know, you had to be on your toes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, um, and in February of 2020, my dad was not well. I had family members calling me saying, Kim, you need to come here. Something's not right. And we need your help. And I said, okay, as soon as Gabe's basketball game's done, I'll be over. And they said, no, you need to come now. Dad's grabbing at things that aren't there and saying things that don't make sense. Um, So I arrived to my parents' house and my dad is in a real bad way. With COVID? uh, No, actually, it wasn't. It wasn't? No, we took him to the hospital, and they could not figure out what it was to begin with. Long story short, my dad is a veteran, and he was going to the VA um, for a couple of different things to help with some back and shoulder pain. And he had gotten an injection. And through the course of a couple of weeks, maybe not a couple of weeks, um, sometime, they uh, put the puzzle pieces together and figured out you know, also with an MRI mm-hmm. um, that he had developed a spinal abscess from C3 to T12.
0: Oh my goodness. So then, so he was septic he was septic. So that's why he went, going, going downhill.
1: He went into like... septic shock. Mm-hmm. He was in the hospital at my hospital at Sparrow um, for 106 days. Oh my goodness. During COVID during COVID. Yes. But I hats off to my caregivers and all, you know, my fellow caregivers and all the docs there because he never contracted it. Mm. He stayed free from COVID during that whole time in a hospital full of it. Yeah. So they did something right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so dad gets better. And, and then your mom. Dad gets out in time for Father's Day. And mom, mom has heart failure or had heart failure and started to really decline. Mm-hmm. So we put her on home care, palliative care, and then that became hospice. And mom really wasn't doing well. And we didn't want to put her in the hospital Um, One, her condition was one that could not be cured. She was diagnosed with severe pulmonary hypertension. Okay. Okay. Where they just can't breathe. Yeah. There is no cure. Right. Um, So we wanted to keep mom home. We were in COVID, right? And it, it was the second wave of COVID. Um, and the safest way for us to keep her um, as healthy for as long as possible was to keep her home. So, um, my sister, who is a nurse practitioner, flew home. She was in the Air Force National Guard, but she flew home during this time because dad was so sick and then it turned into mom. Mm-hmm. Um, we moved into the house that we grew up in and we took care of So, you of left mom your own family? I did. I married and with six kids. Let's yes, just say that I real know. quick. So, yeah. <laughs> So you left them to yeah. move in with your dog, which is commendable, and, and to take care of your mother. I did. I live eight minutes away from my parents, so mm-hmm. my family would come visit me. But um, you know, this way, my mom had a practitioner of sorts, a nurse practitioner, mm-hmm. and me, a nurse, like one-on-one care. Mm-hmm. You know, if you send her to the hospital, we wouldn't be allowed to see her. Right. So she was getting really good care. At she home. was getting excellent care. A-
0: and you, and then you
1: lost your mom. I did. Mom um, passed December twentieth um, of 2020. So during that whole time, she was terribly sick. I, um, took a leave of absence from work, Mm -hmm. um, or dropped down to per diem, which means, you know, work as you need it. Um, but I, I stayed away for about three months. And, um, so during this time, I, as I said earlier, I had to pass the baton to my assistant coach. And I really, when I say I did that, I literally put everything on her because Mm -hmm. my mom was, you know, declining. Um, once my mom had passed and, and all of the dust had settled, so to speak, if dust ever settles after losing someone like right. that. Right. Um, I started coaching again. But because of COVID, the season did not even begin until what was it, mid February, end of February. I don't know. It, it was a
0: very short season. And it, was it was really late. short, yeah. I think it started in February over in yeah. March, maybe a month long. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, through all this, you know, your kids that you coach know you. You, you turn the baton over to your assistant coach. They know what you're going through with your mom and your dad. Yeah. But yet you're still committed to, him,
1: to them, to this, to this team. Don't you think they saw that? I think they did. I think it speaks volumes. Um, my daughter was on the team, mm-hmm. so they were constantly updated. And when Miranda wasn't well or wasn't handling things well, they knew things weren't going well Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. so they got a more inside look
0: yeah because i know you know a lot of people when they have that much stuff going on end up just kind of dropping out and not continuing on but i think that probably shows your kids how much you care about them yeah and the commitment yeah that when life is tough you have to get through that but you can go back to what you were doing you just don't have to give it all up that's right it sends a great message to those young girls you work with yeah don't give up don't give up and one of the things i wanted to talk about was um this concept that you have developed with these kids it's just amazing um you came up with this
1: on your own, uh, inspiration from a previous coach that I was told about, but Mm -hmm. I didn't know the particulars until I Googled some, if you Google, it'll tell you a little bit about
0: it. It's called hold the rope. And I would recommend that everybody Google it because it's, it's, it's all about coming together and coming together when things are difficult and having that one person that you know you can go to that'll hold the rope for you. And my assistant held my
1: rope. Held your rope. She held my rope.
0: It, yeah. So Google it. I, I think it would be a definitely an interesting read, but tell us a little bit more about that, hold the rope. How do you use that in your program today?
1: Okay. So the what I, what I gave you that was typed up was converted for cheer, but they use multiple examples of different teams and how they hold the rope. Um, this is where... Um, if you're holding a rope 50,000 or 20,000 feet to your death over a cliff and someone's on the other end, who do you want holding your rope? You want someone who's going to develop blisters and who's going to let blood drip from their hands before they'll see you fall. Right. That's the the premise behind this. So for my team, I've asked them every week, I put out something on our team app to um, nominate who they feel held the rope for the team that week. Mm -hmm. So this is our third week doing it. And They nominate somebody and I have a rope that is actually school colors, cougar colors. We've Mm -hmm. got blue and black twined rope and we give them this, oh gosh, five to seven inch segment of rope with knots on the end. And we thank them for holding the rope for the team.
0: And is it, I'm assuming it's probably somebody different every week.
1: It is. They typically nominate somebody different every week. The coaches started it, and mm-hmm. we nominated a gal who stepped in for another um, athlete who was injured. And she had to step in for all three rounds for this this athlete that was injured. That was out. Yeah. We take the mat with six girls. And so when we lost that one, we could have gone with five, but that would have been a ton of rearranging. Mm-hmm. So this gal stepped up and took her place in all three rounds and we were able to compete and it went off without hitch. So she held the rope. She's the one that started it and coaches nominated her.
0: That's awesome.
1: And then from there it was the kids every single week we're having them do that.
0: Yeah. That's it's incredible. Um, and, and one of the things with this podcast is in the foundation, we are trying to change the narrative around girls in sports Yes, that um, they don't get recognized as much. They're not valued at times. They don't feel they're as important. And that could not be more true with competitive cheer, unfortunately, because these kids work hard. They put in just as many hours. They have to keep their grades up. They have to organize their time. They have to commit to each other and all of that. Um, So you're trying to change the narrative with competitive cheer. And just tell us about... Some of the issues, some of the teasing that might go on,
1: that people don't take them seriously. Sure. And and they've had to overcome that this year. They have this year, for sure, because we, um, for the first year since I took over, are now practicing at Lansing Catholic during our competitive season. So you're back season. at the high school before you were off-site and not practicing where kids could see what was going on. Correct. Sideline, now we're at the school. But competitive when it's our season, and we have to roll out seven panels of mat, and know your spacing and all this kind of stuff. That's always been off site. Okay. Uh, this year is the first year we've gone back on site. And I was a firm believer in that because if kids don't see what's happening, they don't know what's available to them. And why would you sign up to be a part of something you have no clue what it is? Right. Yeah. So that's. Visibility was is one thing. And I think the, the
0: other part is just educating um, the rest of the student
1: body in school on what they do because you can see how hard they work. That's tough because they don't feel well received, at least they hadn't. And so you asked about some of the challenges. So I'll just jump right into that. Um, when teenagers don't know or understand something, their defense mechanism is to um, laugh fun, make jokes, yeah. you know ridicule, whatever it might be. And the girls have felt a little bit of that and I don't know. unfortunately yeah, so yeah. I don't know if it was meant to be that way, but that's how they've perceived it. Um, well, they
0: also, um, as teenagers, hold their hearts on their sleeves. So any yeah. any slight, you know, I, I can remember, you know, one of my kids coming home and said, "The teacher yelled at me today." Oh yeah. Well, yeah. you know, what is yelling? Yeah. You know, they could have. Yeah. But sometimes it's just like telling them to do something they shouldn't be doing or redirecting. Right. So there's that, but. You know, I've seen it where, um, yeah, they're just those girls in the competitive gear are just not taken seriously.
1: Yeah, they don't. You know, and when you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. Um, for us, we would make the teams run, or our, our cheer teams run using full voice because we are scored on mm-hmm. our voice and our facial expressions. Like, we have to look happy doing what we're doing, and yeah. we have to be loud. So they run cheering the words to each one of their rounds because that's how they build stamina. Right. So... The first time they did that, I think students were like, What? They were li- There's a little blowback for that. Yeah. <laughs> what exactly yeah. is this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no other sport has to work so physically hard and yell to the top of their lungs at the same time. Well, yell from their diaphragm. That's what I'm right. <laughs> right. <laughs> at the same time. Yeah.
0: Well, one of the neat things you did this year, too, is you brought um, your kids to a home basketball game, whether it's boys, varsity, girls, varsity, back to back, and they did. Their routine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I spoke with you prior to them coming to the mat, and you said the girls were really nervous and really were. They were worried about how they'd be accepted. And, and uh, I was calling the game, so I was trying to give them some encouragement, you know, between. And yeah. and
1: uh, so how did that go? That went really well for them, actually. Uh, they were very nervous about how they would be perceived, for sure. But they went out there, and they nailed every stunt, and they hit every skill they were supposed to do. And then the very next competition, which was either the next day or the next couple of days— went amazing like probably the highest score that we've received yet for our third round where we throw people up in the air that's awesome so and i told them if you can do this in front of a crowd that you feel uncertain about Mm -hmm. then you will be phenomenal in your element oh yeah and they were i love it i just love it i love watching those girls too i mean
0: if you have you know i'm telling the listeners out there if you've not had a chance to watch these young ladies do their thing on the mat at a competitive cheer meet, please go, go at least once. Cause I can guarantee if you go once you'll be back because you understand how hard they work and it's just fun. Yeah. It's just really fun to watch. We
1: try to make it a fun environment for sure.
0: So if you can think of one coaching moment or one team moment that really sticks out for you, where you
1: felt like you really did something amazing, what would that be? So it would definitely be that team of four during COVID. That is the single most hardest thing to do as a coach um, to compete with the minimal amount of people. You are graded on creativity, on floor movement, use of the mat, Mm -hmm. all of these things. And when you only have four girls, that is so, so difficult. But these girls they were committed. They were committed to one another and to their sport, and they took sixth place at districts. Now, the top four move on, but that's the closest that they've gone to going to districts since I've taken over, and actually for at least three or four years prior to that. And there were how many teams at that district? Districts tend to be anywhere from uh, 12 to 15 teams. Uh Um, I think that was different because we were in the year of COVID and there were teams that had to drop, oh, you know, yeah. there, it, it was, it was a unique situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But w- that, that was interesting to be able to get through a whole season without losing anyone to COVID. Like we were very vigilant, but I'm a nurse. So, you yeah. know, we had hand sanitizer and masks and everything <laughs> at practice practice. <laughs> so yeah, I, I did what I could.
0: <laughs> well, we know that the numbers of participation in sports is going down across the board all sports, both boys and girls, and especially hit competitive cheer because there are some schools that just aren't having cheer programs anymore because they can't get the kids out. What would you tell kids today if they're listening? What would you tell them to get them to come participate in competitive cheer?
1: There is nothing like the camaraderie that you have on the cheer team. And I've always told my girls too even if there is somebody on this team that you don't necessarily like, you're not best friends with, it does not matter. That leaves when you enter the practice room because in life you have to learn to get along with all sorts of yes, people. You do. And this is your first lesson of playing nice in the sandbox with everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the camaraderie that you build and even if you're not best friends with somebody if you nailed that third round you're all going to walk off the mat feeling so accomplished and that feeling is not one that can be really replicated anywhere else
0: right and you can take those skills there's so 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 many instances like that in skills that you can take from being involved in a sport activity on into life you know you can be on a team that work that maybe you're not best friends with everybody, but you've got a big project. Everybody pitched in, did their job, and you had yeah. the proposal accepted, or it was a successful presentation, or exactly. you got that grant, or you got a new program started, and feel good
1: about it. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: All right. So at the end of every podcast, I always ask my guest what their racket is. So today, Kim... What would you say
1: your racket is? The biggest thing coming to mind that won't leave my mind right now is perseverance. Perseverance. That would be, uh,
0: yeah, I could see that because you did persevere through COVID Mm -hmm. and you made sure that those kids were taken care of. You made sure that your family was taken care of your kids that you left to move in with your parents. You took care of your parents. Yeah. And you still persevere today because you're back coaching a great group of kids and they're just, you know, doing better
1: and better yeah. every meet. Absolutely. This this year is one of the best so far. So, do not give up. Persevere, persevere.
0: I like that. Okay. Well, thanks for joining me for this podcast today, and I look forward to speaking with you in the future and talking about your program success.
1: Thank you for having me. You're welcome.
0: So, I'm going to ask the question again. Do bullies really win? well not for the Lansing Catholic competitive cheer team. They have stood up, supported each other, worked hard, used their voices, pushed back and made themselves known. It takes all of us to keep bullies from winning, team by team, athlete by athlete, person by person. Will we ever make them go away? No. But we can use our voices to stop them or push them back. We can be leaders for each other and set examples for each other. Because 57% of the time, bullying goes unreported because of fear of retribution. 30% or 1 in 3 teenagers are bullied, now primarily cyberbullying, which reaches even a larger audience and which can be even more humiliating and crushing. Bullying can damage academic outcomes, self-esteem, mental health, increase depression, and increase anxiety. And bullies themselves are at a much greater risk of mental health issues, such as depression, anxiety, and mood disorders. So I say to you again, Stand up to bullies. Keep your head up and don't be silent. And yes, use your voice. Because bullies really don't win. Would like to give credit to Tudor Big, Big Sound and Lighting, for editing and producing this podcast, and for providing the original theme music. For more information about In Her Name Foundation, visit our website at inhernamefoundation.org. Join us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our newsletter, or make a donation. We look forward to meeting all of you again and sharing our next episode of Inspiration. Until then, see you next time, and be prepared to bring your racket.